The Lord be praised for all of his grace and goodness in our lives, brothers and sisters. We are indeed thankful and we indeed give God all the praise and all the glory for he is worthy today. And not only is he worthy today, but he is worthy for all time. For every blessing that we have received in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, as we prepare our minds and our hearts today to hear and to receive the word, we want to be good listeners by being doers of the word and not just hearers only. We want to be faithful, brothers and sisters, as we listen to God's word today worshipfully and with a, and with worshipful hearts and souls in the presence of the Lord. As I shared with us uh, recently or last Sunday and even before, that we would be beginning a new sermon series based in the Gospel of Mark often referred to as the second gospel because in the order of the books of the New Testament, the gospel of Mark comes after the gospel of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. And Mark is a part of the first four books of the New Testament, the gospels as we refer to them, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel according to John. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, Levi, one of the original 12 disciples. As was also the case with the Gospel of John, who also was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, written by not one who was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus or the original followers of Jesus, but a second generation of followers and believers in Jesus, Luke, who was a physician in the first century and who not only authored the Gospel of Luke as we know it, but also the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. It's the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And Luke was responsible for pinning the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles in a two-volume form, if you will. But Luke was what I call a second-generation Christian believer, who came to faith in the Lord Jesus and who would accompany the Apostle Paul. Mark, the second gospel, is a gospel that we believe to have been written by a man known as John Mark. This John Mark had been a very young person, we believe, during the time of Jesus' ministry. 
And in fact, we believe that there is an allusion to him in the Gospel of Mark. As we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, there where Jesus, when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and a melee having ensued as a result of Judas and, well, uh, the authorities coming along with him to arrest Jesus, that melee that ensued resulted in a young man who was about to be accosted by one of the authorities, but who managed to extricate and free himself and flee the scene naked (laughs) because his clothes were torn off, apparently. We believe this John Mark was that young person and that Mark or John Mark was also the same Mark who sometime later would accompany the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, who were the leaders of Paul's first missionary journey, John Mark having uh, joined in with them, but for some reason, Mark, not having been able to stay on that first missionary journey, had to leave. And that later on, some time later, some decades later, this John Mark would be the one who was in Rome along with Peter the Apostle, who had eventually uh, wound up in Rome. John Mark uh, undertook the responsibility of writing an account of the things that had happened during the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Apostle Peter recalled them. And that writing is what we know now and what we have now as the gospel according to Mark. John Mark, if you who took down the recollections of the Apostle Peter and who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe for the purpose of encouraging and strengthening the churches and Christian believers throughout the Roman Empire, but especially in Rome, where Peter was at that time in the late 60s AD, and Mark was there with Peter. And so this Gospel of Mark is an equally important account of the life and the teachings, the deeds and the doings of our Lord Jesus Christ during his, especially during his three to three and a half years of ministry on earth. And so it is with that understanding that we approach this gospel according to Mark. Now, today, instead of beginning with Mark chapter 1, verse 1, I felt led of the Holy Spirit to begin with what many scholars through the years have deemed to be something of the theme verse, if you will, 
or one of the theme verses, I guess you could say, of Mark's gospel. It certainly is one of the most memorable and significant verses in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This theme verse, as some have called it, says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, brothers and sisters, in this theme verse here, we, we see Jesus, the Son of Man, the suffering servant, and the Savior of sinners. Contained right here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Now, let us dive deeply, a little more deeply into this. And as we prepare to do so, I want to pause for just a moment and pray for the Lord to give wisdom and insight to us as we, as we dive into this, well, this theme verse, if you will, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Our Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and a will to obey the truth of your word. And may we be doers of your word, not just hearers only. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. It was getting late. Tensions were rising. Some of the followers were becoming a slight bit worried. Jesus seemed driven, determined, destined for something that lay ahead, but they could not quite understand what. The days seemed to get shorter as the moments were fleeting. It was like the rush of the last remaining sand from the top of the hourglass to the bottom. And amid the vortex of events, the disciples' worry provoked them to competitions for power. They started competing for power amongst themselves. They were like people who were grasping for whatever power, place, or position they can hold on to when things appear to be coming apart. And yet, nothing was coming apart for Jesus. In reality, all things were coming together according to God's plan. Jesus was following the Father's plan. He was in the process of fulfilling the Father's plan. For he knew that the Father had sent him to perform the most important plan and to fulfill the most important purpose in all of human history. The disciples, on the other hand, were struggling to follow Jesus in faith and 
struggling to grasp God's plan, struggling to figure out how all of these things were coming together, and struggling to understand many things that Jesus was saying to them. And it wasn't as though Jesus was not clear. Jesus was very clear, as we shall see in Mark's gospel in chapters 8, 9, and 10. But the disciples were not clear. The signals got scrambled with them, not with the Lord. And the signals were scrambled with them because they, as of yet, still had not been converted. That would take place after Christ would die, rise again, ascend back into heaven, send the Holy Spirit who would come and take up eternal residence within the disciples. And then they would begin to fully understand the events that they had lived through that we're reading about and preaching about even now. In Mark chapter 9, just to show how they were struggling in their understanding, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and following, Jesus had to correct the disciples because they had gotten into a heated disagreement among themselves about who was the greatest. <laughs> it is a little ironic, you know, for them to be arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest when they were following the one who actually is the greatest. It just gives a little bit of insight into just how much they did not get it sometimes and how much they failed in their understanding of the profundity and the magnitude of Jesus and the events that were taking place all around them, the events they found themselves in the middle of, and yet failed in their understanding to grasp the significance of. By the way, brothers and sisters, even in this, even in these things, in these observations, there are important lessons for us to learn. For God always wants us to get it. God wants us to understand what he's doing. He wants us to know what he is doing and to know it in terms of understanding so that we might obey what God is doing, so that we might walk with God in it, in whatever he is doing. So let us learn some important lessons from these disciples. Lessons, well, on the one hand, there is much to learn about how to be, but also much to learn about how not to be from these disciples. You know, they are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. How could you do such a thing when you are following the Son of God? What's more, later on, in an attempt to secure special positions, 
James and John, two of the disciples of the original 12 disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and asked him for the highest positions in his kingdom. <laughs> I jockeying for positions, which is what people often tend to do if they have a sense or a feeling somehow or another in their fleshly fear that things are falling apart, you know, people start grasping and jockeying for positions, trying to grab uh, a hold to whatever they can hang on to or whatever power they think they may have. Here, James and John, as though they had not listened to Jesus just a little while earlier, tell them, uh, correct them about in the argument about who was greatest, here they come jockeying for the highest positions in the kingdom of the Lord. When the other disciples learned about this, they became indignant with James and John. In fact, here's the story in Mark chapter 10 verses 35 and following. I'm turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> How about that for approaching the Lord? Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink of the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look at this story, if you will, with me, brothers and sisters. So here James and John come before the Lord and ask him for what would be considered the two highest positions 
in his kingdom. And they ask with audacity, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. (laughs) And before Jesus commits anything to them, he responds by saying, well, what do you want me to do for you? We want to sit at your right hand and at your left in your kingdom. Do you understand what you are asking? The implication is clear here in what Jesus says. You don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea the magnitude of your request. You know, James and John are like so many of us who fail to count the cost of what it means to be at the top, who fail to count the cost of what it means to be in leadership, who fail to count the cost of what it means to be in power, uh, who fail to understand that the pathway up to greatness is a pathway that is long and hard in the kingdom of God because it is a pathway that leads down, not up. You see, it is clear that James and John, as close as they were to Jesus and as beloved as they were, by Jesus and the other disciples did not understand the significance of what Jesus was doing at this time and did not understand what was about to come. They were not going to be sitting at on the right hand or the left hand of a physical and militaristic kingdom that Jesus would bring into existence by overthrowing the Roman Empire or overthrowing the Romans' hold over Jerusalem, the Jews, and Palestine. As a matter of fact, for them, just the opposite would happen. And that's precisely what Jesus is conveying to them here. You don't know what you're asking. (laughs) Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You know they don't understand what they're talking about because they immediately say, we can. Without even asking an explanation from Jesus, well, Lord, what do you mean by the cup you drink and the baptism with which you will be baptized. They don't even bother to ask for such a thing because all they're doing, all they can do is blindly keep their sights set on power and position with Jesus in his kingdom. It's a, it's a shallow, superficial understanding of the kingdom of God, a shallow and superficial understanding of the work of Christ, and a shallow and superficial understanding of discipleship and what it means for them to be disciples of the Lord. Now, the Lord has already 
been warning the disciples that things were about to get really bad. He's already warned them more than once that when they get to Jerusalem, that he would be arrested, accosted, badly mistreated, and then executed, but that he would rise from the dead on the third day. And they understood none of what he was saying. They did not have in their minds, they didn't have a category for interpreting and understanding what Jesus had been trying to prepare them for. And it is clear that they are real prepared just by seeing this request of James and John after amongst themselves, the disciples had already been arguing over who was supposed to be the greatest. Can you drink of the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they said. Without counting the cost. Without even an understanding of counting the cost. We can. <laughs> Have you ever known anyone like this? Who fails to count the cost before they embark on a journey, before they embark uh, into something Profound, something serious, something significant, failing to count the cost. Well, that's that's exactly what was taking place here. And what does Jesus say to them? Okay, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with. Oh, yes, it will happen. <laughs> well, it's too late for them to back out now. It's too late for them to ask the question, well, wait a minute, Lord, what does drinking your cup and your baptism mean. No, it's too late for that. You will drink the cup and you will be baptized with my baptism, Jesus says. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not for me to grant. These positions belong to those for whom these positions have already been prepared. In other words, the answer to your question has already been decided by God. It has already been determined and established by God. What you are asking for, my heavenly father has already decided. But what you need is not what you're asking for. What you need, you will go through. Because as I drink this cup and go through this baptism, so must you. Mm. You see, brothers and sisters, let me point something out here in preparation for us diving a little more deeply into verse 45 in just a moment. Listen, too many of us fail to take the Christian life seriously enough to count the cost and that we do not come to Christ for the glory and the glamour of position, power, and prestige. We come to Christ in order to die the death that Christ died, die to self, 
We come to Christ to empty ourselves for him, not to exalt ourselves, because it was Christ who said that he who exalts himself shall be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, brothers and sisters, listen, there are too many who, just like the disciples at this point in their journey and their understanding, too many who completely misunderstand the very nature of Christian faith in the first place, the very nature of the Christian gospel that calls us to self-sacrifice. This is what Jesus said about it. If anyone will come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Luke chapter 9. So brothers and sisters, this is an important lesson for us to learn and to understand. And it is an important theme that reverberates throughout the Gospel of Mark. The disciples failed repeatedly to understand. And, and there are all kinds of interesting uh, uh, things that happen in Mark that one wouldn't expect. People who, those who should understand Jesus and what he's doing, don't understand. And yet those who, who you would think would never understand and never get it with respect to Jesus actually do. And we will see a number of stories in the Gospel of Mark uh, that turn out this way. The unexpected uh, reality of those whom you would think would understand don't, those whom you would think never would understand do. And so Jesus then, calls the disciples together, according to verse 42, and gives them another lesson on the heart of the gospel and the heart of his mission to the world. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You see what Jesus is teaching them and us here is that the gospel does not, the gospel does not go according to the pattern and the perspective of this sinful world. As a matter of fact, it, it goes uh, opposite to the pattern and perspective of this sinful world. The way up is down. <laughs> and the way down is to try to go up. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That humility precedes exaltation, you see. Exaltation of oneself does not bring exaltation. Exaltation of oneself brings one down to nothing, to ruin, and to destruction. But humbling one's self 
is the path to growing into greatness. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be last of all. In other words, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, Jesus says. So the path to greatness is service and servitude, not self-exaltation. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we see in verse 45, he is the son of man. He is the suffering servant. He is the savior of sinners. For even the son of man, Jesus says, even me, in other words, the Lord is saying of himself, Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man, and this is an allusion uh, to, an allusion to um, this statement, the concept of the son of man found throughout the Old Testament. For example, in the books of, uh, the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and the Psalms, this concept of the son of man is found in Jesus. And it is a concept in the Old Testament that ultimately points to the ultimate son of man, if you will, Jesus, the son of God. He is fully God and fully man. He often referred to himself as the son of man, as he does right here in Mark 10, 45. Even the son of man did not come to be served. Now, think about that for a moment. Because in the thinking of the disciples and most people of that day, the Messiah would not be coming to serve. The Messiah would be coming to reign and to rule and to run over the enemies of Israel. <laughs> that's, that's the, that was the expectation of uh, the Messianic movement uh, and those who were expecting a Messiah to come as a deliverer of the people of Israel from Roman overlordship. But the Messiah, the true Messiah, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, did not come to be served, but to serve. He came as a servant. Hmm. <clears throat> he came not only to be, he didn't, he, he came to serve, not only to serve, but to give himself as a ransom for many. You know, brothers and sisters, Jesus' statement here reminds me of Philippians chapter two. If you could turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. I want you to see something here that speaks directly to the words of Jesus. Philippians 
chapter 2. You know, I want to begin at the beginning of the chapter right here in order to give you a little bit of the context so that you can understand the fullness of the meaning and the significance of what is said here in Philippians chapter 2 in relation to what Jesus says about himself in Mark 10, 45, where he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter two, Paul, the apostle, writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi, writes these words, beginning at verse one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You see that? He who exalts himself will be humbled. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, there is no place for self-centeredness, selfishness, and narcissism and narcissistic behavior in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ and among the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So remember the disciples there in Mark chapter 10, they're grasping and grabbing for whatever position and power they could get their hands upon out of fear that things are coming apart. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Instead, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You see that, brothers and sisters, right here? You see this? Well, this is an exposition, if you will, of the words of Jesus out of Mark chapter 10, verse 45. That Jesus, 
came to serve, came and took on the form of a servant, made himself nothing, emptied himself, not of his divinity, not of his deity, but he emptied himself of all of the surroundings of his eternal glory that he possessed and that he was entitled to. He laid it all aside and came from heaven down into the world that he had created with the heavenly father back in the beginning. And he did not come into the world as some sort of conquering king, as some sort of royalty demanding everybody uh, succumb to him as some sort of royal king. He is the royal king, but he didn't come like that when he came the first time. He didn't come in pride and in arrogance. He came in humility. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, he humbled himself. He first humbled himself in the incarnation. God, the Son, being wrapped into human flesh and born of the virgin, is in and of itself, brothers and sisters, an act of the greatest humility. The Son of God humbling himself? Yes, it is true. And in so doing, he has given us the greatest example and the greatest case for humility. He did it himself. He humbled himself, according to Philippians 2.8 and became obedient even unto death on a cross. And as a result, God the Father exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name above every name. You see, humility before exaltation. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Christ embodied this for us. Why? Because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, brothers and sisters, when we think about this teaching of Jesus, here he is, the Son of Man, who became the suffering servant for us. Not for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This reminds us of the suffering servant of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. And it is so apropos, particularly since today is a day where we will celebrate communion. That he is the suffering servant, the embodiment, the fulfillment of the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, brothers and sisters, Verses 11 and 12, here's what the scripture says. That after the suffering of his soul on the cross, he will see the light of life. He will be raised from the dead and be satisfied. By, my, by his knowledge, my righteous servant 
will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. For the son of man, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see right there in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, the prophet prophesies and tells us that he will justify many. That Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. That verse 12 in Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that he bore the sin of many. Uh, by the way, brothers and sisters, the word many here, whether it's in Isaiah chapter 53 or in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, uh, means all. That is to say that he, he gave his life as a ransom for all. That the death of Jesus Christ is sufficient as a ransom, as payment for the sins of all. Routinely in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, especially but also in the New Testament, the word many is used as a figure of speech to refer to everyone. And so here, that is, I believe, how Jesus is using it in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, in the same way that the prophet Isaiah uh, did in Isaiah chapter 53, more than 700 years before the coming of Christ. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he served through all of his suffering. You see, Jesus suffered not only on the cross. Yes, his suffering on the cross indeed ultimately was for us, but he not only suffered while on the cross, he suffered during all the years of his life and ministry in this world. Here is the Son of God who rightly and rightfully owns everything that exists for he created it with his heavenly father in the beginning. By the way, that's what John tells us in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word speaking of Christ and the word was with God and the word was God. And then all things were made by him. That is to say, all things were made through him, through the agency of the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, Jesus Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who owns everything because he created everything with the Father in heaven, made himself a servant and came to serve. This is the essence, the core, the soul of his mission and suffered as the suffering servant the servant that Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied about, suffering servant of the Lord, suffering 
in dealing with disciples who were who had difficulty understanding and who struggled and fledgled in their faith. He suffered dealing with the ugliness and the recalcitrance and the persecutions of the religious authorities of his day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. Jesus suffered. When we think of his suffering, yes, we should think of his suffering as he hung on the cross. But we should not only think of his suffering as he hung on the cross, but we should be reminded of the suffering that he endured day to day, leading all the way up to the cross. He came as the suffering servant. Not only did he come as the suffering servant, but he came as the savior of sinners, the savior of sinners. We know very well that Isaiah, the prophet, spoke about the, or wrote about these things in Isaiah chapter 53, for example, in verse 10, when he said, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the prophet Isaiah who said back in verse 7 that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And his life was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, the prophet says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 8. Jesus affirms in Mark 10, 45, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. It's true, my friend. It's true, brothers and sisters. Let us as God's people affirm this truth that Christ came and he came as the suffering servant and savior of sinners. Peter the apostle reminds us of these things in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Let me read it for you. 1 Peter chapter 1. where Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen, Peter goes on to write, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and your hope are in God. He is the, the precious lamb whose blood 
was slain for us, the lamb without blemish, spotless. I'm also reminded of the words of John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where he writes that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He gave his life as a ransom for many. This word ransom means that he paid the penalty for our sins. He paid the price for us. He died on our behalf. He died in our place as the substitute for our sins. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we celebrate communion in remembrance of him. For he is the savior of sinners. He is the suffering servant. He is the son of man. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he has called us to do the same, brothers and sisters. He has called us to serve and to give ourselves in service to him because he gave himself as a ransom for us. My friend, if you are listening, if you are visiting with us on on this worship service and you realize that you have never surrendered to Jesus who died as the only acceptable substitute for your sins, now is the time for you to surrender to him. Now is the time for you to say yes to the Lord Jesus. Now is the time for you to say, yes, Lord, I confess my sin and that I am a sinner. I confess that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I confess that as a sinner, I cannot save myself. I cannot remove my sins on my own. I can do nothing about my sin but just keep sinning. But I confess my sin and that I'm a sinner. I repent and I believe Jesus Christ as the, the only son of God and savior who died on the cross for my sins and who rose again and who is alive and who will, and he will soon return to judge the living and the dead. And I want to be right with you, God. My friend, this is your opportunity to speak those words to God, to repent and believe and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, to believe the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. 
All you have is now. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not promised. This is your time and this is your moment in eternity. And if you pass it up, you pass it up at the peril of your own soul. For if you die in your sins, there will be no further opportunity for salvation for you. Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, is calling you now. And he is doing so through the message of this gospel that we preach. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us have hearts like our Savior and be willing to serve, not grasping like the disciples were doing, not clamoring and competing like the disciples did, but let us be like our Lord Jesus Christ who had no need to be grasping and grabbing for anything, but who gave himself as a servant. Let us be servants of the Lord and let us serve one another and serve others as an act of service to our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. And let us give ourselves in service to him because he gave himself as a ransom for us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your holy presence with thanksgiving, thanking and praising you for your grace and your goodness, thanking you that even our Lord Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. May we seek not to be served, but to serve just as he did. And as he gave himself, may we give ourselves for his glory. May we give ourselves and surrender to him so that we might give him to others who need him. May we be found faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh God, for your grace in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, we praise God for all of his goodness to us and the blessing and the privilege that he has given to each and every one of us to be his servants. For those of us who have been born again and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord, what a privilege, what a blessing. What a blessing to pursue greatness by servanthood and by servitude to the Lord. So if you want to be great in the eyes of God, be a servant and serve the Lord and serve others as an act of serving the Lord. 